0: The plan is to consider a portion of scripture, as you can see, that deals with, if not the actual establishment of the office of deacon, then a portion of scripture that surely plays a pivotal role in its later formation. So it's either a portion of scripture where you've got the establishment of the office or a section of scripture that's pivotal for its later establishment. Because of that, can I tell you how this section of scripture would be met, how it would be uh, greeted by many in Presbyterian circles? I would say a Presbyterian church, tonight we're going to think about deacons. And I would be met with a sigh and deflation. You see, for many in Presbyterian circles, okay, an elder... Well, an elder, he may be something, you know. An elder might now and again be treated with a modicum of respect. But a deacon, you know, a deacon, that's altogether a different ball game. A deacon in churches like ours, a deacon, the office of a deacon is very often looked down upon. Seen as a second class, a lower class role, a lower class of office. Well, to address that for a moment, let me not say anything from Acts 6, but from the earlier reading. You don't have to turn there. But can you remember what was said? The Lord Jesus, in that earlier reading, said this, I came not to be served. Now, Jesus said, I came to serve now immediately you might not recognize the relevance of that to the diaconate, this idea that Jesus said, I came to serve you will if I try and chuck in a Greek word aware acutely there is a Greek scholar in the front row of the church, but listen is to what Jesus says here Jesus says, I came not to be served but to diakon esai i came not to be served but to diakon esai now do you see what we learn there we learn first of all that at the heart of the role of the deacon is a work of service to deacon in the church is actually to serve we learn that but do we not also learn there that fundamentally the office of deacon is to continue the work of Christ. Isn't that it? The work of a deacon is to continue the work of Christ. Christ came to do what? He came to deacon. He came to serve. What does Christ then do? He, is, he serves us in the cross. He rises, he ascends, and he establishes an office in his church to continue the service of his people. And I think in light of that, Surely we do not just put the office of the deacon to the side, but we begin to see that the office of the deacon is something that we should respect and think long and hard about a London City Presbyterian Church. Okay. We're not in Matthew, though, are we? We're in Acts chapter 6. So make sure that you've got that section of Scripture in front of you in Acts 6. First thing I want us to think about is the background to the diaconate. The background to the diaconate. Now, we are coming, if you're visiting tonight, brilliant, great, warm welcome, lovely to have you here. But you're probably good to know that we are coming to Acts as a bit of a one-off, a one-off service in the book of Acts. So what's the situation we've got here? Well, this is the early days of the New Testament church, isn't it? Isn't it? In Acts 6, very early days New Testament church. We've had Pentecost and we've had thousands and thousands of people have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's probably fair to say, isn't it, that the church is in it, New Testament church is in its infancy here. In a sense, you could almost say the church is kind of finding its feet. Now, isn't it interesting how a lot of people think about the early church? They think it's, just this utopian scene. Everything was perfect and nice. Everything was absolutely beautiful. Well, isn't it interesting to read it wasn't quite like that? Look at verse 1 with me. And you see what we've got? We've got a problem in the early church. Not everything was just perfect. It's a problem, don't we? We've got the Hellenists and the Hebrews in dispute. Now, you see what that is. You've got the Greek-speaking believers That's the Hellenist. Greek-speaking believers. And they've got this dispute with the Hebrew Christians. And you see that it centers on what is called the daily distribution. I think, personally, the daily distribution is a very, very interesting thing. The daily distribution seems to be this situation where the Christians in Jerusalem, sacrificially, would bring food perhaps clothing as well, to the church in Jerusalem. And then the church would distribute this food and potentially clothing and so forth to the most vulnerable, but the vulnerable within the Christian community. Right? So you've got the daily distribution, Handing out Now, do you, did you notice what the problem is? The problem is the Hellenists are concerned. Well, hang on a second. Some of our women, some of our widows don't seem to be getting this. They seem to be neglected and overlooked in this daily distribution. So we've all got the problem, do we? We all see what the issue is. Okay, four, believe it or not, you ready? Four lessons I think we learn even from that background. Well, you get them, each of them, four Test you later. First, we see that problems arise out of church growth. I mean, that's what's happening here in Jerusalem, isn't it? Like maybe you're reading this and thinking ill of the Hebrew believers. I don't think, as I've studied this, that there's malice involved here at all. It's not a deliberate thing to overlook the hellenist widows I, I don't think this is a logistical problem i mean you can see it can you not? i mean thousands of believers thousands of people have i mean this is a big church and people are struggling to deal with this and a problem has arisen because of this brilliant miraculous church growth and doesn't that sound a little bit familiar to london city presbyterian church like It's true, isn't it, that uh, over the last few years we've seen, it was even prayed about earlier on, we've seen some growth. It might not look like it to you tonight, you know, but we've seen some growth at London City Presbyterian Church to the extent that sometimes in a morning service we'll struggle to accommodate people. And if you're visiting tonight, you might think, oh, that sounds brilliant. Like that sounds just fantastic, a church growing. Well, yeah. But if you've been a part of the congregation recently and over the last few years you know that that church growth has come at a cost, hasn't it? Like we've had to adapt the ethos of the church. This, you know, a very relaxed, let's say fair attitude to church life. That's had to be adapted. Do you know what else? The more established members of this congregation have had to bear the brunt of service and serving these New folk that have come into the, to the congregation. This church growth has come at a cost. Now, what do we learn from the book of Acts? We learn straight away that there's nothing new under the sun. Church growth brings problems. What else do we learn when we turn tonight's scripture? Friends, we must not, we should not grumble about this. I mean, surely when we consider church growth, we bow and we worship and we praise God that He works in this way. A second thing that we learn here is that church problems can come out of a mix of ethnicities. Because I want to underline what I just said: the problem in Jerusalem wasn't malice; it wasn't that the Hebrews were being deliberately wicked. What's the? Pro- Did you notice the problem as you read it? There seems to be factions, ethnic factions isn't that right in jerusalem in the first century church there's the hellenists this clique what we call it a clique hellenists and the hebrews this ethnic divide now i think there there's a clear danger that we face at london city presbyterian church if you're visiting maybe you can see what the problem is most churches in the city, they revolve around one dominant ethnicity, don't they? I was speaking to somebody recently from a Kenyan church in London. So you've got a Kenyan church in London. You've probably got loads of Kenyan churches in London. Then you've got a Nigerian church in London, don't you? And you've got South Korean church in London. You've got, I could, I could be here all night, just keep listing nationalities, and you would find a church based for them in London. And you look around, and you can see it's not like that. LCPC, you look around in the morning. There's not one predominant nationality here, and we might pat ourselves on the back and think, oh, that's brilliant, what a display of what it will be like one day. But there is a temptation for us as a congregation because of that. You know what we're tempted to do? We're tempted to go our own. South American believers in here. Tempted to speak. First to South American believers, to your Portuguese spoken, Spanish spoken. Isn't that the case? Scots tempted to go first to the Scots, Africans to go to the Africans, Australians, Americans to go to the Americans. And surely you see that that's dangerous. Surely you look at the church in Jerusalem and see that it has dangers. In London City Presbyterian Church, what must we focus on? We focus first on our shared identity in Christ. so church problems at growth church problems at ethnicities here 's another one Church problems must be worked through don 't we learn that Church problems must be worked through. Because you think about how the early church in Jerusalem deals with this issue. So there's widows. They're being overlooked. What happens? What do they do? Do do, do you notice it? So the Hellenists take this to the church leadership. The church leadership suggests a resolution. And this is a congregation that works through this problem. And I think that is a challenge for us. Because Can I turn this over to you? This will waken you up if I ask you a question. Won't it? What would happen... If this situation in Acts 6 was replicated in a church in London. So let's say you're in another church. Let's not use LCPC. Let's say you go to another church. And there's people being overlooked in the distribution of what's going to happen. What do you think would happen? Can I tell you what I think would happen at least? People would leave that church. Isn't that it? I mean, if there's an issue like this, people's nose would be out of joint. People would take offense people would leave the church they would move on in fact isn't that what we see right throughout the church in the west isn't it the case that today in the twenty first century in the church in the west there is this plague and it's a plague of itchy footed christians a plague of christians who are just ready and prepared at the drop of a hat to leave a church sitting in the pews with the bags packed ready to go waiting to take offense waiting to be annoyed so that they can move on Well, I want you to listen to this. Please listen to it. It glorifies the Lord our God when Christians work through the problems they have in the church. It glorifies God. I think that surely is a clear lesson from Acts chapter 6. It is to the eternal glory of your heavenly Father. If you have a problem with people in your church, what do you do? You stick it out and you work through it. It brings glory to God. And then the fourth of these lessons. We see here that the church must care for each other. And isn't that actually what strikes you most in Acts chapter 6? Again, I'll turn it over to you. Who raises the problem in Jerusalem? Who flags up, puts their hands up in church, and flags up that there's an issue? Is it the widows themselves that raise this issue? It's not, is it? Is it the church leadership that look out and recognize that it's a problem that the widows are? Is not that. Who notices the problem? It's the ordinary Hellenist member, believer in the church. They are so aware of what is going on in the life of this church that the Christian can say, hang on a second, there's a problem. They can, they're so aware that they can bring this to the church. And I think, again, that's got to Doesn't it challenge you? Isn't it challenging? Because we talk all the time about the fact that we've got to be caring for each other. We do. I bang on about this all the time. We've got to share our lives. We've got to be a community. We are a family. But it's more than that. We have to be so caring for one another. So aware of each other's lives. That should there be an area of need at London City Presbyterian Church. We are aware of it. That we can bring it to the diaconate, and this issue can be resolved. What's that? That's the background to the diaconate. Okay, a lot there. I'm going to be briefer as we go into the second thing. So the background to the diaconate. Second thing, we see the beginnings of the diaconate. Okay, here let me use an illustration that I've used before. Let me speak to you about catchphrase. okay. Now, do you remember catchphrase Uh, for those who are too young and from those who are a a better part of the world? (laughs) Catchphrase was a quiz show in the United Kingdom in the 1990s. Some of you remember catchphrase, hopefully. Catchphrase was a quiz show. Here's the rules of catchphrase. So you had a picture on a screen that was obscured by a number of tiles. Okay, now, if a contestant got a question right, one of the tiles would be removed from the picture, revealing a little tiny bit of the picture. You remember it? Remember what happened? Then the contestant would be able to try and guess what the picture was. So everyone got it? You've got it, don't you? Yes. Picture, obscured by tiles. If you get a question right, tile comes off, you get a chance to guess. It's catchphrase. Let's play catchphrase. Sincerely, let's play catchphrase because what i want us to do is to try and remove three tiles from this picture in Acts chapter six to reveal who we should be voting for in these forms for the diaconate okay so let's say you're in the hot seat you're in catchphrase what was the guy's name roy walker something like that so he asks you a question you get the question right first tile removed from this picture in act six you know what it reveals you know the first glimpse you've got about the diaconate it should be congregationally approved. Look with me to verse 2, please. Boys and girls, you check it out as well. Verse 2. So there's this issue with the, the widows and they bring it to the church. What does the church do? Do you notice what they do? It's a couple of things. First of all, the twelve summon the church together. They gather. the Imagine that. I mean, it's a big church. They gather all the people together. The second thing they do, look in verse 3. They asked the church to choose for themselves men to deal with this issue. And maybe that answers the question that's buzzing about in your mind, does it? I think it does because some of you asked me about this uh, this morning and you asked me about it last week as well. Maybe you're asking, why are we having an open vote for the the Deacon? Right? Why, why are we getting an open vote? Some of you have said, why is it the case that the elders are not presenting to the church one name or two names for approval? Why? Now, can you see the answer from Acts 6? Like, I, I'm not saying that this is the only way to do it or the only right way to do it. But do you see what the Kirk Session are trying to do? We're trying to get as close to the practice here in Acts chapter 6. At London, do you see the parallels or not? Do you? You do, right? At, lcpc there is believe me when i tell you there is material service that needs done so what does the spiritual leadership of the church do we gather you like this in a sense don't we and what are we saying as the kirk session to you we're saying to you we're pleading with you you choose you choose so it's first tiles off congregationally approved right but you're on a roll and you answer a second question correctly so another tile comes off this picture in catchphrase and it reveals this you ready for this not sure if you are ready for this but it's revealed that deacons should be congregationally approved men congregationally approved men Now, I I know what the objection would be to that. The objection to that would be, Andy, you've been down this road before, man. I think I've been here six years. I think Brad said earlier on, I think that's about right, six years. In that time, it's like three or four times now that we have looked at the textual, the biblical arguments for saying that deacons, according to Scripture, should be men, so we've looked at the textual arguments of that. And honestly, honestly, it's not verbiage, but if you want to talk about that, talk to us, talk to the eldership after the service, and I'm not going to go down that road, the textual arguments of why it should be made. No, but I do just want to say this, an additional argument, actually a more pragmatic, practical argument here. In fact, I, I ask you this, what is the problem in Jerusalem. Widows. And like incredibly vulnerable women in the first century world, right? And what's it all about? The daily distribution. So you've caught in Jerusalem, you've got vulnerable women needing help with food distribution, certainly. But I think more than that, you've got vulnerable women in Jerusalem, needing help with clothing and things like that. If ever there was a role that you would expect women to be appointed to, it would be that role. And what do you have in Acts chapter 6? You have the apostles specify not just that there's to be seven people chosen, but God, the Holy Spirit, specifies through the apostles seven men to be chosen now what does that mean does that mean london city presbyterian church that the act of serving the congregation must be done solely by men it does not mean that but it does mean that the diaconate must be men. it does mean that this service be overseen by men and then you've done it you've knocked out of the park Can't believe it, you're on a roll, catchphrase, you've answered the third, even under the glare of the TV cameras, you've managed to get the third question right, and the last tile comes off this picture, and what does it reveal? Who should we be voting for? What are deacons? They are congregationally approved men who possess godly character. Look at verse 3, please. Verse 3. Is this most important for our consideration if we're going to vote? We're told that the church was to choose men of, two elements here, men of good repute. And then what's the second part of it? Men who are full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, I'm not going to linger on the first part, the good repute, only to say the obvious thing. The public reputation of church leaders is so important. Listen, did you know it said last week? I was preaching on Titus last week and the eldership last week. Did you notice twice Titus mentions that elders have to be above reproach? Do you see the idea? Church leaders got to be good public reputation. The church reputation is at stake here. I'm not going to linger in that. I want the second part. The second part. What is it? These men must be full of the spirit and wisdom. And, and is that not always overlooked? Because you know what we're like when we think about the work of the diaconate. Follow me on this. Please, please don't make this mistake. We think about the diaconate. What's their work? It's material service, isn't it? And what's a deacon going to do at LCPC? Like, a deacon is going to have so much stuff to do with leases of buildings and lots to do with finance. Even Brad this morning is standing up and going through all the financial details of the church this morning. That's at work here. There's going to be mercy ministry. There's going to be poor relief. But there's going to be these technical things. You know, accountancy, finance, all that sort of stuff. And so what do we tend to think when we're trying to choose? Maybe you've done it yourself. Maybe you've looked down that list of names and you've thought, who's Good at that sort of stuff. Who's going to be really good? Who's an accountant? Who's in banking here? They're going to have to be dealing with finance. Who's, who's got these gifts? And maybe some of that's fine to think about. Drink this in. Soak it in. And every time God in the New Testament mentions the characteristics of these servants, these deacons, what does he say to you? Every time. What is most important is their heart. What is most important is their gospel understanding. Who are we voting for? Are we voting because somebody is good with buildings? Are we voting for somebody because they're good with numbers? They're good with maths? No. We're voting for men who love the Lord Jesus Christ and know well the gospel. And with that, we go catchphrase. Because deacons should be men congregationally approved with particular godly character. And I know, look, do you know, I know I've maybe gone over time. Have I? Probably have gone over time tonight. I'm going to close very briefly with this last thing. We've seen the background to the diaconate. We've seen the beginnings of the diaconate. Really briefly, we see the blessing of the diaconate. Can I just mention what I said at the start? The fact that this is a role, an office in the church that is looked down upon The work of a deacon. Right? It is, I think. Uh, It's a role that we think of as a second-class citizen. So maybe tonight you're sitting there thinking, this is not important, man. It's not important. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you're thinking, I know this. Maybe you're sitting thinking, Acts 6, you know it. You've heard it all before. I've heard sermons on this. Know all of this stuff. This is not important. Maybe you're thinking that. I want to say this to you. I think if we get this right as a congregation, if we vote correctly for elders and for deacons, then do you know what will happen? It will bring joy in Christ. If we get this right, it will bring fever. Fever. And what do I mean by that? Well, did you notice, first of all, that there is fever here from the church in Acts 6. Look at verse 5. Again, boys and girls, look at verse 5. What does it say in verse 5? It says, doesn't it, that when the apostle spoke to the congregation, do you notice... Do you notice the atmosphere of the church? This sounds good to me as I'm going to start, right? Look at it. It says, what the apostle said, pleased the whole gathering. So you've got got a united church. In fact, you could say you've got a delighted church. But don't get it wrong, because maybe you're thinking, what pleased the church was the fact that deacons were appointed. What pleased the church was that widows were getting fed. Is that right? Look at the end of verse 4 it's not just that look at the end of verse 4 what pleased them the 12 suggested appointing deacons so that the 12 could continue to give their attention to the word and prayer do you see the continued focus on the word and prayer is what pleased the congregation and I'm going to say this to you, and I've said it to you before, and I never want to say it to you again, that I without embarrassing them, that I think the spiritual leadership of this church are currently too burdened with the material source of the congregation. So the elders of the church, too burdened, with the diaconate work of the church, the material service of the church. So what do we need to do as a church? We need to appoint as quickly as possible good and godly deacons. Why? So that the elders of the church can maintain a focus on the word and prayer and what happens. It leads to a pleased, a joyous, a delighted congregation favor from the church but then i end with this we're, we're happy with that idea aren't we favor from the church it gets better because don't we also see in this portion of scripture the favor of almighty god see when i read that section in act six did you feel the tension in the section did you feel the, the tension in the, in the section of scripture Like it starts off, did you notice verse one, there's this beautiful note, starts off saying that number of believers was growing, more and more people were becoming Christians. And it's exciting. I mean, come on, that's what you want. And then what happens in verse one? You are introduced to a church problem, a dispute, a complaint. So do you feel the tension in the air? Do you sense the question that's hanging there in Acts 6? The question is, will this argument disrupt the favor of God? You see it, the church is growing. Now there's a complaint. Now there's an argument. Will this lead to God's favor being removed? And then what happens? You follow it through. The church appoint deacons. And then verse 7 we read, A number of disciples continued to increase. That through the church dealing well with this issue of material service, God's hand of favor remained upon the church in Jerusalem. And surely tonight that's what you want, isn't it? I mean, we might not all be on the same page about most things in the life of the church. Surely we're on the same page here. We long at London City Presbyterian Church to, to know and enjoy the favor of God. We might say we've grown a little bit. Don't we all in here want to see that growth in a different way? Don't we want to see more and more people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, surely what we do is we try and align ourselves as close to Scripture in this. And we try and appoint for this material service some godly deacons. So (laughs) I end in exactly the same way that I ended the service last Sunday morning. I encourage you if you're a member of this church to vote but to do so with great care and with great prayer and may God lead us to men who are going to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ the one who through his perfect obedience and through his sin bearing death what did Jesus say to us? He came not to be served, but to diakonessai. Through Calvary he came to serve. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we do pray humbly to you, asking you to forgive us when we do not take the things of your word as seriously as we ought and the matters of church governance as seriously as we ought we thank you lord that you have made it abundantly clear to us in scripture that these things are important that you have spelt out for us in in the pastoral epistles and timothy and elsewhere the characteristics that men in office should hold and so we pray lord that as we vote for new elders and for new deacons that we would be wise help us this week to pray very Sincerely to you about these matters. But ultimately, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the great model of service, for that great unique sacrifice. We thank you that he has borne wrath at our sin, that he is risen and that by his spirit he is with us today. We thank you and we pray in Jesus name. Amen.